My earliest memory about being, just having gender confusion and such is probably around first grade, first or second. I just distinctly remember wanting to be a boy, um, wanting to be the dominant role in any type of relationship. My aunt, I think I went to church with her pretty much every Sunday for the first nine-ish years of my life. Um, and I just distinctly remember things like when people would get mad at her, she was like not respond. So seeing her life and always hearing about Jesus and hearing about God, it gave me really early convictions about who he was early. I was always attracted to women. I just didn't acknowledge it because I knew it was wrong. It was just kind of this underlying temptation. 17 was probably when that became more of an attraction to me than men. I was at a homecoming dance at a, another high school and this young lady that I knew, she flirted with me. And that was the first time a woman ever flirted with me. It felt natural. That's honestly the best way I could describe it. I was like, this is what I want. Gay clubs, I, I found interest in those really quickly. Um, gay pride parades, I was having fun. But a deep soul satisfaction, I didn't have that. I used to tell my girlfriends the truth. I was like, hey, you know this is sin, right? And they were like, why are you gay? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I know this is not um, right. To know so much about the truth about God and then to continue to live contrary to it, I was always in this constant state of conviction. I was 19, I was in my room. It was as if every thought I had was just interrupted by this really strong thought that convicted me all at the same time. And it was, it felt as if God was showing me that the sins that I loved and were in would kill me. I would die and go to hell. It's a heavy weight to know that you're a sinner and God is holy. But if that's in the Bible and that's considered true, then the other truths in the Bible about Jesus being God, Jesus being Savior, Jesus being willing to forgive those who turn from their sins, these are both true. And so I just need to believe this. It was really that simple. In my mind, I just kind of had this conversation with God. Like, I don't really want to be straight. Like, I, I, I equated salvation with just being heterosexual overnight. And so it was just like, I don't want to be straight. But then I felt like God was leading me to the fact, like, I can change your desires. I can give you the desire for a man. Surely I'm God. Um, and then I just considered everything I loved and its consequences. Like, I really weighed the cost. Yeah, I, I really saw that I was holistically sinful. This, that this 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 one area just didn't need Jesus. All, all of me was messed up. Homosexuality is not the only issue plaguing a person. Sin is the issue plaguing a person. This homosexuality is just an outworking of that nature. I just saw like weed and stealing and pride and anger and arrogance and drunkenness and everything was not worth it. Like it just was overwhelmingly obvious that everything that I loved would not profit me anything but hell. You know what I'm saying? And I saw that God was offering me life and I knew I had no choice. I either choose God or I choose death. I told God, I said, what you're calling me to do, I cannot do on my own. I've tried before to try to live holy and it didn't work, but I know enough about you to know that you'll help me. And so 
I broke up with my girlfriend maybe a day or two later, because I had to. And then um, that was one of the hardest decisions I had to make. But so everything after that was easy. Um, changed my clothes a week later, got into a church in two weeks. Return to church was cool. They were like really loving people. It was like a family. It was, it was very difficult the first two years. Like God kept me. I think he kept me because I had a community around me. I, if I did not have Christians around me to help me and pour into me and encourage me, I would have been doomed for the most part. Who God says I am defines me, though I may have temptations, though I may have struggles, though I may see a woman that's beautiful and be tempted. Like I have temptations to curse people out too. I have temptations to get drunk. I have temptations to watch porn, but that's just the human experience. The Christian is not void of temptation. The, the temptation got less powerful over time, just as I grew um, in knowing and loving Jesus. Um, but in that place, I didn't want a relationship with a man either. But over time, probably three or so years into my walk is when I started to get an attraction towards Preston. It was weird because it wasn't, I'm attracted to this man. It was like, I'm just attracted to him and all that he is, and he just happens to be a man. And so because I'm attracted to him, I'm more than willing to, to love his masculinity too. I think on my wedding day, it was, it was just kind of surreal. Everything in my life has always just, just been so God. You desire for this marriage and this wedding to just really show off your gospel. And I'm, I'm really grateful to be a part of that presentation. Five weeks after my honeymoon, I found out I was pregnant. I was looking at her and I thought to myself, if I chose to stay in the lifestyle I was in, I would never have her. I wouldn't have her. It wouldn't be Eden. And I, I just cried and thanked God for allowing me to experience that. The advice I would give to a parent is first and foremost, to really trust God. Because even with my mother and my aunts, so the people, the Christians around me, they might not, they may have seen me and seen me in my condition and think, oh, it's hopeless. But they didn't know that I was running into people on the street that were convicting me. They didn't know I was seeing certain commercial commercials that were reminding me of God. They didn't know that I would hear certain gospel songs randomly. Just be faithful, um, keep loving them. God changed me by showing me himself. God is aware of what's happening. It's not foreign to him. His son died for them. He loves your children more than you do. So how are we doing, everybody? I am so excited that you are here at both of our campuses. I welcome you, and I just cannot tell you enough how grateful I am uh, that you have come to gather with us this evening. So here is what we're going to do at both of our campuses. Uh, if you could just help me out from front to back, young and old, I would love for every single one of us, no matter where we are in our faith journey, you might be brand new to this whole thing. I am going to invite you to do something a little bit strange with me. We're going we're gonna to invite you to literally get up out of your seat and go to your knees for just a moment. We want to start in prayer, literally bended before God. Now, if everybody could just look at me for a moment. I realize uh, that our friends watching us on the internet are going to be going, see, it's a cult. They're making him them uh, bow before him. I mean, it's crazy, right? Uh, but we are not a cult. 
and you are not bowing before me. We bend our knee before God. Um, if, you, if, you have, uh, if you have been aware of what's going on, there is this tidal wave um, that is coming against me, our church, you, uh, our core beliefs, the way God has created us, about the way we love people and care people, about people. And I've realized that the only way uh, to stand is to kneel. Uh, the only way uh, to stand is to be humble and let the protection of God cover. And so if it's okay with you, I would just like to bow together as a community and uh, ask God to visit with us. So Father in heaven, um, when so much of the world seems like it is spinning and it is so uh, filled with division and oftentimes hate, God, when our little world is spinning and often filled with uh, chaos and it feels like it's just out of control, um, God, help us to know that you are near. Help us to know, God, that you have not forgotten us. Help us to know, God, that you are still in control. So, Father, in, in this place, I, I realize that um, there are all kinds of different walks. Some are brand new to this thing, and some have been trying to walk with you for a very, very long time. But, God, each and every one of us needs to hear from you, God, personally. And so, God, once more we say, speak, O oh God. Speak, O oh God for your child is listening. And together we say, amen. 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 Anybody ever feel like they have lost control of something? I mean, you thought you had it handled, but it just started to spin out of control. Anybody, anybody, anybody in the room? Uh, I had uh, this... Uh, it was many, many years ago. I had this, I think it was a 1993 Ford Aerostar. Now, no offense to my good friends who uh, work and build Ford motor products, but uh, this thing was a piece of junk. I mean, it, it literally was a piece of junk. It was like, I, I used to say it was like driving a refrigerator down the highway and you're ready to tip over at any moment, right? Uh, my wife used to say it was our driving saltine cracker box, literally. And uh, one time I remember... Uh, I mean, this thing would just like, you hit like the littlest bit of water, you hit the littlest bit of ice, and it would just be all over the road. And, and I remember we were coming uh, 275 south one time uh, as we neared our house in Monroe, um, and, and I don't know what we hit. The roads were clean, the roads seemed dry, but something just literally went crazy, and we just went nuts, and all of a sudden, we were using all three lanes of the road, and it was insane, and, and have you ever felt like that in a moment, like, have you ever been in that situation where you just have completely lost control of your vehicle, and you're going, I don't even know how I got here, and it's like, just, hey, I'm just enjoying the ride, this is great, you know, uh, and that's what it felt like just for that moment, and then uh, it was almost surreal, because as you're literally careening across all three traffic uh, lanes, and you're going, I think we might die, honey. Um, uh, it's like God picked up this little saltine cracker box and just straightened it up again. It was really incredible. I don't know if you've ever kind of had a moment like that where uh, you just thought that everything was out of control. And you just couldn't stop the spinning. God has not forgotten you. And God has not forgotten us. Let me tell you uh, two stories that come from the pages of Scripture because we need to be reminded that God is in control. 
Uh, I want to tell you about a, a man named Jeremiah. Jeremiah was considered to be one of the great prophets of the Old Testament part of the Bible. Uh, some people have called him the depressed prophet. Uh, other people have called him the doomsday prophet because uh, we, we learn, if you were to study his life, that not only did he have a bad day, uh, not only did he have a bad week, a bad month, a bad year, he had a bad life going on. Uh, he was depressed by all accounts. I mean, you read this guy's story and he just struggled in this depressed type of world. And maybe you would be too, because he was actually born the son of one of the high priests of Israel. And um, so he was a pastor's kid. And so he was born pastor's kid. And that can be depressing. Okay. I just I, And so as he lived, he witnessed that the northern part of the kingdom in which his family was part of the ruling class of uh, was destroyed by the Assyrian empire. That could be depressing, right? And then he watched and witnessed how his temple, the temple of Jerusalem, the place where he called his church home, was utterly destroyed by the Assyrians. He watched it. That could be depressing. And he was a prophet. He was a preacher. And he, would, uh, he, he had this habit of preaching to call people back to God. And no one was listening. Listen, I know what it means to be a pastor and have no one listening. It can be depressing. And he was depressed. And they mocked him. And they laughed at him. And eventually, because he would not shut his mouth, they arrested him, and they threw him in prison, and they mocked him some more, and he was depressed. And look what happens next. God reminds him of something. God speaks to this man, and I don't know if this is like an audible type of thing, or like this was just some matter settled in his heart, but, but all of a sudden... When things were spinning out of Jeremiah's control, probably like you and probably like me, he started, started to doubt God. He started to, to doubt God's ability to interact with his life. He, he started to doubt God's um, care over his existence and what was happening in this world. He thought God had essentially lost uh, his ability to, to do magic, to do wonder, to do power in this world. And his world was lost because of this. And listen to what God breaks into Jeremiah's heart and says. I am the Lord. This is Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 27. He says, I am the Lord, the God of all the peoples of the world. Is there anything too hard for me? So can I just translate this? Uh, God looks at Jeremiah and says, hey, Jeremiah, I know that you believe in me. I know up here, you think that I can do something about your situation. But let's just be honest. Let's just be, be completely truthful. You think that I can't, though. You say that I can. You believe that I can. But really, in your heart, that you don't think that I can or I will. You, you think that because I'm somehow not uh, interjecting in your life and working it out just the way that you want it worked out, that, that somehow I have lost my abilities, that I have lost my power, that I've lost my mojo in this world. And he says, who, who do you think you are, Jeremiah? Who do you think I, I, you are? Because I am the God over all people, whether they believe or not, whether they accept or not. I can do all things. Nothing is too difficult for me. Trust me, Jeremiah. You, you don't know what I know. Trust me. See this thing out to the very end. Don't you dare give up. Trust me. Another guy, 
Uh, his name was Job. Maybe you've heard of him in the scripture. He, he, he loved God. I mean, he really did. And, and uh, he had it going on in life. Let's just call it what it was. He was very successful. He had a wonderful wife, a beautiful wife, and he had all these kids, and they were great kids. And, and he was wealthy, and he had the respect of all the people. And, and things were good for him, and he would praise God, right? He would give glory to God. But let's just pause for a second. Let's just be honest. When things are going good in your life, when you're rolling down the road in the new Escalade, it's easy when somebody says, man, nice wheels. It's like, praise God. Right? Oh, you got that new house, fancy big old house, and people pull up in your driveway, and man, must be going good for you, man. Looking good on this house, man. Praise God, glory to God, he gave it to us. Glory to God. It is easy to praise God when things are going good. But look what happens to Job. You might know the backstory of this. Uh, the scripture says that the enemy of God, we call him the devil, uh, comes to God and points out Job and literally says, yeah, 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 Job praises you now because everything is good, but you take it away from him. You take his health, you take his family, you take his kids, you take his wealth, you take it all from him. He will not be praising you. He will be, what is it? Cursing you. You take it from him. Now pause just for a moment. Again, it is easy to praise God when it is going well for you. And sometimes... Let me tell you something. Sometimes God will allow things into your life so that he sees who you really are and so that you see, listen to me, so that you see who you really are. We're tested. And it's true. There are testings that come along and God is watching. Your family's watching. My kids are watching. Your, your grandkids are watching about what kind of man you really are, about what kind of woman you really are. Your friends are watching. You say one thing when, when, when things are going really well, but when things fall apart, who are you really? Who are you really? And so the, the scripture records that God literally gives permission for the enemy to go and attack Job, and Job literally loses it all. He loses the respect of his people. He loses all of his kids. They die in this horrific, tragic accident. All of his kids die. And uh, he, he ends up losing all of his wealth. It's all taken from him. Even his own health comes to the very edge of death. And at this moment, listen, friends, Job begins to rethink his position with God. There's a shift. He is solid, 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 solid until he comes to the breaking point. And then all of a sudden, he starts to doubt God. He says, where are you, God? Well, why won't you do something, God? Don't you know what trouble I'm in, God? If you're God at all, you most certainly should be able to do something. And then God has this dialogue with Job. And again, we don't know if it's like this audible dialogue or if it was just something he settled in his heart, but it's recorded in the scripture that there is this conversation where God begins to speak at Job. And he says, Job, 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 you think you are so smart? You think that you know it all? Huh. Where were you, Job? when I set the foundations of the earth to rest? Where were you, Job, when I made the sun to rise and to shine upon humanity? And where were you, Job, when I hung the uh, stars in the sky? Where were you, Job, when I, when I caused the wind to move and the oceans to be stirred? He goes, Job, I do that for mere fun, for mere recreation, for mere sport. And Job, if I've been looking at you correctly, you haven't even been able to protect your own children. Job, you haven't been able to even protect your own wealth. And Job, you haven't even been able to protect your own health. 
you're on the edge of death. And you think you have the right to question me? I know a little bit more than what you know, Job. Job, I can see a little bit bigger than what you can see. And here's what Job says in reply to this. This is found in Job chapter 42, one through three. Listen, just listen. It says, then Job replies to God, to the Lord. I know that you can do anything. Pause, maybe I just need to read that again for you because some of us forget this. I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you, oh God, right? Verse three, anybody follow me so far? You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? Pause, God gets a little sarcastic there, just for the record. Can you, can you see that? He's like, Job, what, what, what's wrong with you? Why do you doubt me? And then Job says, it is I. And I was talking about things that I knew nothing about, things that were too wonderful for me. And this is amazing, right? Job is in the middle of all of the spinning, in the middle of all of this chaos. And God says, Job, I am still in control. And you may not understand it, but you have to trust me. I know you don't see it, but I see more than you. Uh, Job, I know you don't know it, but I know more than you. Job, I know that you don't see the end, but I see the end when you cannot see the end. Trust me. Any moms and dads in the house? Any moms and dads, grandma and grandpas? Have you ever said to your children, trust me? How did it go? Any parents of teenagers? How did it go? You see, the problem is, is when I say trust me to my 13-year-old or whatever it is, the problem is, is that they think they know more than me. They think that they can see more than me. And they think dad is old and dad is irrelevant and dad has lost his power, dad has lost his touch because when they're real little, they love you. And you're like Superman to them. But there is a magical thing that happens when they get their early teens. You've lost it all, <laughs> right? And you say, trust me to a teenager. And they're looking at you and they're going, I don't really trust you. And that hurts. It's painful, isn't it? As a parent, it really is. Because you want what is best. You want what is good. And frankly, and frankly, let's just be honest. Teens in the house, we know more than you. We really do. We've lived longer and we can see farther. We've experienced more. And let me tell you something, friends. We can often see the end when they cannot. And God can see the end when you and I can't. Every single time. He knows what's around the corner even when we don't. Friends, listen to me. No rational person conceives of a God who possesses limited power or control, right? I mean, even people, think about this for a second. Even people who, who, uh, who, who don't believe in God, they can't conceive of us believing in a God that does not have unlimited power, right? And yet, we all the time in this very room, we live as if God does not have power, as if God does not control, as if God cannot change something. And like Jeremiah and like Job, friends, listen to me, we need to be reminded that God is still in control, that God's power still has authority in our life. God's power still affects our life, that God's power still moves our life. And sometimes we forget that. Amen? You hear me? And so I, I, I just want to talk about how this power comes into our life. And, and I want to begin by just reading this little verse as a reminder of what God wants to do in us. And it comes from the great prophet Isaiah. And he is looking at a people um, who are beaten, who are struggling deeply just to survive, 
to stand up against the tidal wave of culture. And this is what Isaiah says to the people on behalf of the Lord God. Listen to this. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40, it, it says this, uh, starting in verse uh, 28. It says, have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. In other words, uh, there are some things that you don't know, but God does. There are some things that you don't understand, but God does. And you can't measure the distance between those two things, what you know and what God knows. It's so big and it's so wide that you don't know that you don't know. But God knows. That's genius, Jay. Right? But that's truth. You don't know that God knows. And you don't know what you don't know. But God knows. Listen, no one can measure this. Um, this is so good. This is, this is so good. He's, he's, this is so good. Say to your neighbor, this is so good. Right now, say to your neighbor, this is so good. This is so good. Listen to this. This is what verse 29 says. So... Because of this gap, because of what God knows and what you don't know, because, because you feel weak, but God feels strong, there's this gap in there. Because of that, he says, he gives what? Come on, say this word. Power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even the youth uh, will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who, what? what's this word? Trust in the Lord will, give, will find new strength and they will soar high on, eagles like wing, uh, uh, on wings like eagles and they will run and not grow weary and they will walk and not faint. So let me, let me just say it like this, friends. Uh, God does for you what you cannot do for yourself. Do you hear me? God does for you when you cannot do it for yourself what you cannot do for yourself. He lifts, listen, he strengthens you. He helps you see the end when you can't see the end. He makes you run when you feel like falling, when you can barely walk, when you are tired and ready to crash. He says he lifts you up like, like on wings like eagles, right? Uh, he, he says, you got more in you than you think because why? Because why? Because I am in you. Because I am in you. This is a personal deal to God. And I sense, friends, nearly every week when we come into this place, there is always a segment of our people that come into a place like this and you feel powerless. You feel broken. And let me tell you something. If it hasn't happened to you yet, it will. You will come into a place like this broken one day because this is the nature of humanity. All of us, every single last one of us, from front to back, every single person, young and old, you will come to points in your life where you're like at an all-time high, and then there are other points where you are at an all-time low. This is the ebb and flow of the human experience. There are moments that you feel like Rocky, like, yo, Adrian, and you're ready to fight the world, and you got more strength in you than you know what to do with. You have more fight in you than you know what to do with. And then there's other times that you feel like a pinata, and they're just beating you around. And it's one stick after another stick after another stick coming at you. And frankly, I'll admit it. That is the way I feel right now. I feel like I'm this, this hanging pinata out there for the last year of my life. And it's one swing, one hit after another. And my guess is I'm not alone. My guess is there are times in your life that you feel the exact same way. And God says, if you feel like a pinata, get ready for my power. If you feel like you're going to crash, that you can't stand anymore, there, there, is, this, there is this strength that is available for you if, if you want it. Get ready for more 
because you need more of me. Get ready for more of me because you need more of me. And, and this is true of life, right? That a whole bunch of us in this room, we have made decisions to shift. We've made decisions to change, to transform, to, to literally become something new in, in, in our life. We talk about this all the time around here. Uh, people, I mean, it's like the new year, and so people are like, I'm going to lose weight and get skinny. Yeah. And so you, what, you join the gym, you get a membership, you go buy jogging pants or the little running things, and you buy new tennis shoes, even buy a wok because you want to cook skinny, right? <laughs> but about a month later, I don't know, do people even use woks anymore? I don't know. <laughs> I just made that up. I, don't, I have no idea. I don't cook. Uh, so, but, but, but listen, listen, listen. But a month later, you can't find your fab to the gym. You, your, your jogger pants are already too small for you because you bought them skinny, thinking that you were going to lose a few pounds, but you've gone in the other direction. It's only a month later. Am I right? I mean, come on, and your, your husband's used your walk as an oil change thing in the garage. It's crazy. And, and honestly, listen, that's funny, but it doesn't really matter what area of life that you've tried to change because all of us have tried to take a next step somewhere, every last one of us. And if you haven't, then you're a loser. I'm serious. Because who goes through life just going, hey, I'm great the way I am? I mean, come on. At some point you go, I want to fix my finances and do better. Somebody, at some point you go, man, this friendship isn't going the way I want it to go. And you what? You try to do better, right? Uh, a marriage, right? If, if your marriage isn't the way you want it, if it's not rocking, if you know what I mean, if it's not like, woo, this is good, then what? You want to look at it at some point you go, I should probably fix this thing. Am I, am I right? This is how humanity works. But the problem is, is every one of us has tried to fix something and we fail miserably at it. And after a couple months, you go, what is wrong with me? Because there's either something wrong with me or there's something wrong with the God that they're talking about because I, I believe that God can do all these things. I really do believe that God can change all of these things, but I'm just not seeing it. I'm just not feeling it. I don't sense the power, the transform, transformative power of God at work in my life. Well, let me tell you something publicly that I have been trying to live out privately for over 10 years of my life. You see, because I think that there is this, um, are you ready for this? Yeah. Can, can you handle this? Are you ready? Are you sure? Because yeah. I'm going to tell you something I think is absolutely true. And this is going to blow your mind, and you're going to go, wow, this is incredible. We should pay this guy more. I mean, this is huge, right? I mean, this is, what you, this is going to be big. Uh, this is something that I'm learning privately, is that there is this link between what God wants to do in your life and what actually gets done in your life. And this link is described in just one simple word. You ready? Faith. Oh, Jay. Oh, Jay. Come on. You're the pastor. You went to college for this. That's all, I know that word. I already know that trick. I've heard that a hundred times. Don't you got something more? You need to go back and come back next week and start all over. No, no, no. It, it's, it's just one word. The link between what God wants to do and what is actually done in your life is only one word link, faith. And I could just call it another word. It's kind of the same thing, trust. 
trust. Or, or maybe another word, uh, we could call it, it's almost the same thing. They're very interconnected. It's called obedience. Come on. It's called obedience. See, the problem is, and maybe I'm the only one in the room that has the guts enough to admit this. I don't like any of those words. <laughs> I don't like any of them. Because it requires something of me. Because it moves me to become what I'm not naturally on my own. And my guess is, is that a bunch of us in this room, you too don't like these words. Faith, trust, and obedience. Because they move you to something more, to something different, to cause you to change, to cause you to transform something in your life. But friends, listen to me. When I read the pages of scripture over and over and I look for this connection, there is this dramatic link between what God actually does and the faith of somebody. There is this radical link between what God does in people's lives and the trust that they put into the power of God. There is this radical link between what God does and people's obedience to the word of God, to the leadership of God, to the spirit of God in their life. Somebody needs to say amen because you've seen that. You've seen that too. Let me tell you something. Friends, listen, listen. I am struck by how often faith is required, how trust is required, how obedience is required for God's hand to move. He doesn't choose. He does not choose a rebellious person to show his power and, and, and majesty and beauty to. He doesn't choose rebellious people to change the world. He chooses people who have a faith and a trust and an obedience in what he says and what he wants. So let me just tell you uh, two stories that kind of give this picture, and they are very similar stories. One actually flows into, uh, right into the other, and it uh, begins in the Old Testament book of Exodus. It's the second book in the Bible. Uh, it starts in chapter 14, and it is the story of Moses. Now, for this series called Trust, we have been talking about this Moses guy a little bit. Anybody remember? Now, some of you, this might be old news, but some of you are brand new, and I just want to catch you up a little bit. But if you were to go back and study uh, this time in history, the people of Israel, uh, they were uh, enslaved in the land of Egypt for 400 years. There's 2 million of them, and they're in the land of Egypt. And they're enslaved by the Pharaoh, by the king, right? And God sees their misery, and God hears their cries. Anybody remember us talking about that? God sees, and God hears, and God knows their cries, and he cares, and he responds to it and he raises up a deliverer by the name of Moses. And God tells Moses, go to the Pharaoh and say, let my people, let my people go. And so Moses does this and the power of God shows up. Moses acts in faith, trust, and obedience. And he shows up and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And God says, through Moses, that I'm gonna make you let my people go. Literally, you will obey me. And he gives 10 plagues over the land. Each one gets worse than the next, right? You, some of you guys remember this, right? 10 terrible plagues. And eventually, we learn that the Pharaoh says, okay, get out of here. Go, take the people and go. Take your animals, take your uh, housing, take everything that you want. Just get it out of town. Get out of town. Get out of town, right? Because it had been so devastating for the people of Egypt. And so we learn that they begin this journey, 2 million of them, heading out of town, boom. And they're heading to this land that they call the, come on, promised land. They're heading towards the promised land. God has promised them a land that they can raise their families in. 
and that it'll be a good land, a land where they will prosper and where they can worship him as God. And so they're on their way, and uh, the route God leads Moses takes them north and slightly uh, east. North and slightly east. But if you were to leave Egypt and go north and slightly east, anybody know what you would run into? The Red Sea. The Red Sea. A big old body of water. So why don't you think about this? They're on their way out, about a week or so into this journey, uh, they run into this body of water. And Moses hears, before they get to the edge of this body of water, he hears that Egypt is amassing their army to come after him, and the Pharaoh's changed his mind, and the Pharaoh's going to slaughter them all. Now, Moses, if I was Moses, if I was the leader there, I'd be going, okay, what are the odds? Us versus the army of, his, uh, of Egypt. Us with all of these women and children and slaves and goats and cows versus Pharaoh. The odds aren't too good. And so he looks ahead of him, and he says, well, let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. And they get to the edge of the Red Sea. Now, what do you think Moses is thinking at this point when he's at the water's edge? His back is literally against the wall, figuratively against the wall, but his feet are literally up against the water's edge. I want you to think about this. He now sees Pharaoh's armies coming in the distance, right? And he hears, he's got spies back there telling him it's not going to be long. We got to get doing it. We got to do something. We got to get our defenses ready. And, and Moses seeks God, and God gives Moses the weirdest answer. It is so strange to me. Um, found in Exodus chapter 14, verse 15. This is strange. Now remember, he's up against the wall of water and there's an army behind him coming. And he's got a bunch of old slaves, beat up, beat down slaves. Then the Lord says to Moses, you ready? Come on, you ready? Why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm Moses, but if I was Moses, where? What do you want me to do? And, and literally, Moses, listen, Moses is up against the sea, right? Army behind him and up against the sea. And God tells him to move. Next story, there is a man named Joshua. He becomes a leader after Moses. Remember this? And, and when Moses takes over the reign of leadership, it's a couple years later now, they have uh, wandered around in the desert region, and now they are looking at the promised land, and God tells Joshua this little tiny verse, this little phrase. We learned it last week. He says to Joshua, be bold and what? No, he said very courageous. He said courageous once, but he said very courageous. He says, Joshua, it's going to get hard for you. But I want you to be bold and very courageous. And what we learn is their stories are very, very similar. As they come toward the edge of the promised land, Joshua now is leading a people who are tired and weary. And we learn from Joshua chapter 3, we learn that there are these enemies that are approaching them from all around and they're encompassing. And guess what? They are up against this river. This body of water. And it's not just a little like little creek that you can kind of go, oh, let's go across. And so, no, it is a raging river coming down from the mountains. It is called the river of, anybody know? Jordan. The Jordan River. And they're standing, and the, the scripture informs us of some interesting things. It says that, that Joshua has spies out there, and he learns that the armies are coming to attack. So literally his back is up against the wall. And his feet are up against the river. And the, and the scripture says the river at this particular time was that high river and it was rushing along and it would carry the people away. And so 
Joshua goes to God and says, what should I do? What should I do? And then this is how um, God speaks. And then Joshua turns and speaks to the people. And listen to this. This gets all up and crazy, right? The people are going, we're going to drown. We're going to die. What are we going to do? They're freaked out. And listen to this. Then Joshua tells the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. We've been out in the desert for two years. Finally got to water, and we can't get to the other side. And there's an army back there. What are you talking about? He says, oh, no, 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 no. God is going to do something great among you tomorrow. You, you just wait. Anybody ever feel like that? By the way, a little side note. This is free, totally free. Have you ever felt this way? Like, like, you have been wandering for so long. You just know there has to be something better around the corner. Anybody? Come on. You know it's like that slingshot we've been talking about. You pulled back for so long, and you're just waiting to do something great. And these people are going, man, you promised us the promised land. It's right over there. But now we got this army coming and we're stuck. And what are we going to do? We don't know how to build a bridge overnight. Right? Listen to this. In the morning, Joshua says to the priest, lift up the Ark of the Covenant uh, and lead the people across the river. Now, pause for a second. You may not know what the Ark of the Covenant is. We don't got a lot of time for it. Just go back and watch the original Raiders of the Lost Ark. It'll tell you everything you need to know. Okay? Uh, it's, it's great. Okay, and so, listen. And so they started out they grabbed this ark, they started out, and they went ahead of the people. And then the Lord says to Joshua, today I will begin to make you a great leader in all the eyes of the Israelites. Then they will know that I am with you just as I was with who? Moses. Now, you ready for this? This is crazy. Listen to this. So give this command to the people and to the priests, right, who carry the ark of the covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and just stop. Okay. So he says, you're at the edge of the river, and when you get to the edge, you just keep walking. But Moses, but Joshua, it's over their heads. What are we going to do? It's raging. You just said it's going to sweep us down, right? And, and yet, he says, you just get to the edge of the river. You're carrying the Ark of the Covenant, but you have faith. You have trust, and you need to obey me. He says to walk. He says to step. He says to move forward. What are you waiting around for? What are you afraid of? God says, step into the water. Stop being afraid. He says be what? Strong and courageous. Bold and what? Courageous. That's what he says. He doesn't say just sit around and do nothing. He says move forward. Trust him completely. Let me tell you something, friends. Faith is the missing link between what God wants to do and what you have seen in your life thus far. Faith, trust, and obedience, they are the missing links. Let me tell you something. If you know the backstory of this, it says what we sing in our songs, right? God split the sea wide open. He held back the waters of the Jordan so they could cross on dry land. Friends, I'm just learning 
And I don't know what takes us so long to figure this out sometimes, but I'm learning that when we risk, that is when God meets us. When we move out, that's when he steps in. When we move forward, that's when God carries us. When we feel weak and we go, I can't do this. I shouldn't do this. You don't know who I am. You don't know my past. You don't know my struggle. That is when God says, you don't know who I am. Because I want to do more in you than you could ever imagine for yourself. Listen, the book of Hebrews says it like this. It says about this word called faith. It gives us a description of it. And it is uh, such a lofty description. But listen to what it says. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith has this, let me tell you something. Let me, let me, let me tell you. Faith has this component that is required of you. That makes a requirement of you to listen for the voice of God, to search his scriptures, to hear what he has to say. And it is, there is a requirement of you to move forward into that, to change, to grow, to be transformed into what he wants us to become. Listen to this. A couple verses later, a couple lines later in verse six, he says this about, about this relationship. You ready? About this relationship between you and God and how faith, listen to me, look at me, look at me, look at me, how faith is this missing link. Here's what it says. And without faith, without trust, without obedience, in the middle of it all, it is impossible to please God because anyone who wants to come to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek after him, who, who literally move toward him, not just go, oh, I believe, I believe, I believe, I'm fine. There is a pursuit inside of our heart as we earnestly move toward God. I, I remember uh, driving down, I saw this crazy thing. I was driving down Eureka Road, it was the summertime, and about got killed. And it was crazy because, like, we're all just cruising down Eureka Road, everything's perfectly fine, traffic everywhere, and all of a sudden people are just like, you know, slamming on their brakes. And I figure, whoa, what's going on here? And I, and I look around the car just ahead of me, and uh, there is this mama duck. Mama duck with about eight or nine little ducklings, like, at the edge of the road and the mama duck just in the traffic's flying and just goes and just like literally walks right out in the middle of traffic and all these little ducklings boom, 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 boom all of them just step right off the curb just like that and just follow mama duck right into the and then mama puts on the brakes true story puts on the brakes and every duck boom hits the duck right in front and they all back up and then mama goes and does it again every duck and eventually the whole place is stopped so this little family of ducks can cross the road. And I thought to myself, um, that's not an awe moment for me. I don't care if they're ducks or cats or anything. I don't care. But what a lesson about following. What a lesson about following Jesus. When he moves, we move. When he, what he says, we believe. Where he goes, we follow. And we are following so close that when Mama Duck stops, we run right back into her backside. That's what we do. Friends, I'm afraid that the power of God has not been released in so many of our lives because we've really never tried the power of God. Because we've really never obeyed God, trusted God, had faith in God to change us. He's led you. He's moved you. He's challenged you. And you pull up short because I failed before. I failed before and I'm not going to try again. The power of God is released in your life when you move, when you step out, when you risk much. He will meet you.